A few housekeeping rules, like whatever happened to my mother, <laughs> you might want to know. Um, she, um, I got married in 1950, and then in 64, uh, my husband was through with all his education, and uh, she, we moved to Philadelphia. And we moved sight unseen to this big 13-room house, which had a, a flat in, in between the two, two stories. And in 1965, and my, my folks were still out in California, and in 1965, I wrote to my dad, and I said, you just got to move back here. And he was already having physical problems, so... Uh, he knew that someone needed to take care of my mother uh, and sister. So they moved back. So they had four, four rooms, two bedrooms, kitchen. So that, so that was workable. And then that was 65. My, hus- my father died in 1970. And uh, <clears throat> uh, so, okay. You do the math for me. She was uh, she was born in eighteen ninety, so she'd be what eighty years old? Yeah, eighty years old. Yeah. So she lived with us for another twenty years. That makes her a hundred. <laughs> then, then her behavior became more and more bizarre. We couldn't even keep her in the home anymore. But uh, she hated this church. Uh, she, when I was going to get married in 1950, she uh, would not come to the church. So we had to move the wedding to my, our home, which was across the bay in San Francisco, and it was a beautiful home. So it worked out okay. But so she would have nothing to do with the, with the church. But when she moved back, my husband now is as a pastor and she started to come to, to church with us uh, but she but uh, she she's a very strong willed woman and uh, uh, when she came to the place where I couldn't take care of her through the day where she would just walk out in the street uh, I would uh, uh, I had to put her in a daycare center. Well, she hated the daycare center. So, and I had to hire someone to take her back and forth to the daycare center to give her a bath, and so I just couldn't do that. And uh, one day, her, her carer said to me, well, your mother tried to get out of the window of the daycare center, and if they stopped her, she whacked them over the head with a cane. So that's my mother. So when she, when, when she came back home, uh, the, uh, the, my, my caregiver, her name was Lacey, said this is what my mother did. And I sat her down next to me, and I said, Mother, this is what you did today. And she had a very short-term memory, and she said, No, there's no way I could have done that. And I said, Mother, yes, you did. And she put her head in her hands. 
And she said, I am so sorry. And I think that's the first time in my whole life I ever said that. Then she started listening to Billy Graham. She liked Billy Graham. She liked coming to church. So I do. So then when she was 100, we had to put her in a nursing home because then she became much more difficult to care for. So she lived another four years, 104. Oh, God, please don't let me live till I'm 104. <laughs> but... Uh, so we were in Spain when uh, when she was starting to fail, when she started to stop eating, and my uh, and then then she died there. And my son went to her. They they knew she was dying. My son went to her and said, "Grandma, do you know you're a sinner? Do you know you need Jesus?" And she said, "Yes." So I believe I will see her there. So. So you might wonder whatever happened to mother. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> All right, I hope you're not tired of the Psalms. <laughs> sort of maybe sitting under an avalanche when you get seven Psalms to, <laughs> to, uh, uh, to think about through the day. But uh, uh, Psalm 131. Oh, let me see. I was going to have someone read it, but I did. So let's t- if you have Bibles, turn to 131. It's a very short song. <clears throat> and now I have the ESV. Maybe you all have a different version, but it's pretty much the same. O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Well, my heart is not always at rest. There are many voices, duties, obligations, responsibilities. I have expectations of what I should do, what I would like to do, what others think I should do completely forgetting what pleases God. And so Psalm 131 speaks to this unrest. About a year ago, I was getting ready to take the train to the Philadelphia airport. I had anything but a quiet heart. My book project needed to be worked on. Decisions needed to be made concerning my sister. Home renovations were solved, and I wanted to return to London. I was leaving the house. I said something to my daughter that revealed a very thankless heart, so guilt and condemnation ruled. I began to pray through Psalm 131, but I could not make my heart still. Arriving at the ticket counter, I gave the attendant my ID and money to pay for my luggage, and without realizing it, she put my ID into the change drawer. That's my driver's license. And when I was ready to go through security, I couldn't find it, and they were not going to let me on the plane without it. So I went back to the counter, and it was found in the change drawer. But my plane was leaving at a distant terminal. Could I make it in time? It was a long walk, but I made the flight. Finally, sitting next to the window on the plane, I began to read through Psalm 131. 
O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high. The Spirit gently showed me that that my the problem was the pride of my heart, wanting to please my daughter and editor and not doing a very good job of either, which was evident in my thankless attitude. He showed me the presumption, presumption of my life. I acted like a horse that had to be held in with bit and bridle rather than quietly waiting on the Lord for my return to London. I do not occupy, this is the next verse, the first silver's one. I do not occupy my things with things too great and too difficult for me. I was preoccupied with the future. In my pride, I wanted to figure out what God was doing so I could get on with my life. God wanted me to be content, to go slow in the writing, and to wait until the matters were resolved with, with my sister. Isn't that easy? You know, sometimes it's really hard to be quiet when you might even now be sitting here thinking about tomorrow or thinking about the future or thinking about things at home that need to be taken care of. It's, if you just let those things occupy your mind, you just will not be able to come to that play at rest. And sometimes wanting to know what tomorrow holds or the future holds, you're right back in the Garden of Eden where that's what uh, Satan tempted Eve with. You will know. You'll know the future. You'll be wise. You'll be like God. Now, don't kid yourself. You do. All of us have that in, in our hearts. Well, fear, uncertain future, sickness, disabilities, anxieties, worries about children, money, Hurts, rejection, the economy, reputation, unfulfilled longings, and more. Those can so consume and occupy our lives that there's just no room for rest. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, which is a big step. Don't you think that's a big thing? To be able to be someone who's so occupied with so many things and then all of a sudden make a decision to be quiet. A weaned child is not grasping for its mother's milk. She can sit or he can sit quietly on her lap, satisfied. She needs, she still needs her mother, but in a different way. She's free to grow, to learn, to play, and to develop relationships. And this is where God finally brought me as the plane began to descend. I let go of the future. I let go of my pride. I rested like a weaned child in my father's wise plan. Oh, Israel, oh, Rosemary, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And now my hope was in the Lord. His will, his way, and not my own. It's not easy to come to a place or stay in, but it's a place of rest. I prayed, Father, forgive me for putting my agenda before your will. Forgive a heart that's proud and restless. Forgive me for not quietly waiting until your will is made plain. Forgive me for not having a thankful heart for all your blessings and mercies. Thank you for not leaving me alone, for sending your spirit to teach, to lead, to guide, and instruct in the way you choose. Thank you for the blessings of a calm, quieted soul. This is truly what you have done. Please, Father, do not let me go on in pride. 
continue to show me where and when my heart goes astray. There's one more way that God quieted my soul during this experience. The woman who brought me my change at the ticket counter looked at me and said, Do you remember me? Uh, I did not. And she said, I am Mary. You took me in when I was a troubled teenager. And leaning over the counter, we hugged each other. She apologized for leaving the way she did. She just she was 16, 17 years old, just, just left. She was now married with children working as a, with a U.S. Air ticket agent. Even though my heart had not been quieted, God showed me that my labor so many years before had not been in vain. Isn't that a beautiful thing? I mean, she came out of the city. She was a wild one. And she just couldn't handle the suburbs. It was, uh, the people, houses were too far apart. <laughs> so, my pride was a major hindrance to a quiet heart. All the day's pressures had shown me this. And not everyone who reads this will have the same set of circumstances. But it is wise to ask the Spirit to show you why your heart is restless and dissatisfied with the events of your life. Ask him to bring you to that quiet place near to the heart of God. That's Psalm 137. Uh, Sarah, you want to read? The next psalm I'm going to sing to you is uh, Psalm 127. Um, I think this is a good psalm to follow this because often our... uh, hearts or get get anxious about our children. Uh, there is, for a mother, that's probably one place where there's the deepest unrest. So, you want to read that? Yeah, Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, it, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. Thank you. In 1953, we moved from California for my husband to go to seminary to Philadelphia with three young children, three months, one, one and a half years, and the other two and a half years old. Needless to say, Sunday after Sunday, keeping these little ones quiet, occupied with Cheerios, crayons, and color books during the church service. I didn't get too much out of the sermons. But one Sunday, <clears throat> one Sunday I did. The pastor was speaking on Psalm 127. And Anne, you know, that was John Murray. That was the, the sermon. We were just talking about John Murray. Uh, the pastor was speaking on Psalm 127 about God building his kingdom through families. I came out of that service with a deep sense of joy and purpose. 
that this was, in my life, God's call for me. If you know my story, you know there are a lot of pitfalls since that time in my parenting, but I never lost sight of that promise. Bless the Lord, bless the house, they labor in vain, that build it. Oh, I forgot to ask God how he wanted me to cooperate with him in building this house. So Jack, my husband, and I worked together to train, to teach, to discipline our first four. My youngest came five years later. Our efforts produced well-behaved, intelligent children, but their parents were not sinners, weak and needy before them. So when our daughter Barbara rebelled at 18, I, I don't want telling us she didn't want anything more to do with our family, with church, or with God. Uh, needless to say, that rocked my world. And I could not follow the instruction of verse 2 of not to, to worry. So there was anxious toil, there was sleepless nights. It's vain to rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for so he gives to his beloved sleep. I was deeply worried that we had lost our daughter for eternity, and I was helpless to do anything about it. That's all, a lot of that is written in that book, Come Back, Barbara. Well, as mothers, we do worry. To come to this place of quiet rest is indeed the work of the Spirit. Oh, Barbara did live, leave home, lived with hippies, lived with different men. We always welcomed her when she came over, took her to the doctor when she got sick, welcomed all the men she introduced us to, forgave her, and asked God to forgive us. Four years into her rebellion, we, fi- we learned finally how to pray for her. We prayed for her that God would rescue her from the kingdom of darkness, that he would reveal her sins to her heart, claim the promise of the covenant for her, and thank God for what he was going to do. We read that children are a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. We claim this promise that she and our other children belong to God. And you can read about this in our book. But after praying, my heart was settled. Three years later, the, the, the Spirit showed her Jesus. It was just beautiful. It's a long story. We have now lived together for 28 years, and now she's my boss. <laughs> in other words, she's now managing editor of a publishing company. So everything I write has to go through her. <laughs> If she doesn't like it, I get it back. (laughs) Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. I have 24 grandchildren, 30 great-grandchildren and counting. I've come full circle with this psalm. My children speak with the enemies in the gate. Mothers, grandmothers, singles, let these truths speak to your heart. God is building his house. And as we prayed over there for the city, he also builds the city. So that, that's, I think that was a great way to spend time in prayer for the city here. Uh, there are no guarantees. You have children. Those of you who have children come into the world with a heart bent away from God. 
And then God must teach you how to be weak and needy and a sinner before them, and yeah, discipline and train and teach, but never out of, uh, of trying to make a name for yourself. I used to go around the country telling, telling mothers how to train their children. That was before my whole world fell apart. So anyway. But you know what's the guarantee is, of, is the faithfulness of God to keep his covenant promises. Right. But I also needed to get beyond God just building my family. I needed to see the bigger picture of God's kingdom. And this brings me to the last song of the day. But to me, one of the most important. And this is Psalm 2. And it's a longer one, so I don't think we'll read it. But if you have it in front of you... uh, uh, it would be good to, to follow this. Right. Follow it, flying into Malaga, Spain, in January 1996, I was looking out the window of the plane with tears streaming down my face, pleading with God to let us stay put for a while. I was tired of traveling, of never feeling settled. We were coming from England where a new work was started, intending to spend a few months of the year helping out in England. And now we were in Spain for a three-month study time for my husband to write and then a return to the U.S. During the next month, it became increasingly difficult for my husband to walk. His chest pains increased to the point where open-heart surgery was scheduled in Spain. Thousands of people were praying. We all expected him to live. He had survived a serious heart attack in Uganda, almost died. He had survived uh, cancer, where he almost died, and, and a stroke a few years later. And, uh, and didn't... God still had a work for him to do. I remember sitting by, by his bedside watching the monitor and pleasing, pleading with God to let him live. But he didn't. I lost a friend, a mentor, a teacher, a pastor, and a lover. My life was shattered, and that was 19 years ago. It has taken many years to finally understand This world is really not my home. Until I could embrace life from God's point of view, until I could embrace life from God's point of view, to learn I am and you are an important part of God's plan to renew the nations, to bring renewal to the nations. And this brings me to Psalm 2. It has four sections. The first, verses 1 to 3, nations rebelling against God. Uh, 4 to 6, God's answer is God's Messiah, a king and Lord. Verse 7 to 9, Messiah speaks judgment. And this is God's response. And the reason I think this is so important to end our time together is because we are on a, more than you realize, on a kingdom journey. 
God is rescuing a runaway planet, and there are broken people all around us everywhere we go. We need to be always alert. And in just studying the psalm, living in South Hall, living with family, I have realized that God always puts opportunities in your path to speak the word. So, I mean, when Jan and I were coming up on the train, there was this woman sitting across from us, and it wasn't long before we had a conversation going, talked about our history, and we were sending her my book. I mean, just don't ever think that what you say, how you show kindness. You know, Jesus said even a cup of cold water is not forgotten in heaven. So, um, so if you're going to get a right view of God's kingdom, you must first get an accurate view of the world. This world hates God. God, and they, they, they test, detest his Messiah and despise Messiah's people. I just heard on the news last night, which you may have also heard, that a man went into this school in Oregon. Did you hear the news? And asked those who were Christians to stand up, and he just shot them, one after the other. Where? How insane is that in, in, in our country? It's just... Uh, but there it is. That's the, that's the hatred. And you know, I mean, all of you know that the ISIS and, and Al-Qaeda, they hate, they hate believers. They hate Christians, you know. Now, not all Muslims do that, but, but certainly there's an undercurrent of deep hatred for us. So we meet reality when it's see a hostile world. Nations rage, people's plot, kings and rulers aspire against God and his anointed one. You know, you only need to watch the news or read the newspapers to know that nations are rebelling against God. A plane is blown up over the Ukraine. A young pilot plunges his plane in the French Alps, killing all the passengers. During the 4th of July in America, a hundred of ISIS plans were uncovered. Shoot and kill and blow up buildings was their agenda. Uh, and, and then recently, as Anne and I were talking, how, how unbelievable it is that over 700 people were killed in, in Saudi Arabia when they were walking around the Hajj. You know, here they're thinking they're, they're, they're doing this to please God, and then they die. They're crushed by a crane or crushed by each other. And they're facing God in eternity. That's, that's the way the world is. <clears throat> yeah, a man planning his destruction is wrestled to the ground on a train from Amsterdam to Paris. The sex trade is rampant throughout the world. Now, now you know if you've watched the news, thousands of immigrants fleeing from oppressive country or trying to find freedom in the West. And before, before the time I'm writing, the news will again remind us that we live in a fallen, hostile world. So we shouldn't be surprised when we hear about the evil that people do to one another in their rebellion against God. I have a, I have a really good friend. She was uh, from a, 
Muslim background, and she's a Shiite. <clears throat> and it's interesting, the cab driver that took me to the train station on Monday, he was a, was he a Shiite or a Sunni? But anyway, there are two, two, two main factions in the Muslim world that are constantly at war with one another. And I said to him, I said, well, Muhammad writes in the Quran that you shouldn't kill. And uh, then he goes on and on about why the Sunnis need to die or something like that. You know, I mean, it's in the heart. (laughs) It's just there. Uh, The heavenly realm is the power center of the universe. Jesus is there and we are there with him. We are at the center of power with the Lord of the universe. This I really want you to remember more than anything else. Forget everything else I said. Just remember that Jesus, when John meets, when Jesus meets John on the Isle of Patmos, he's probably in his 80s. Probably all all of the apostles were already dead. And he must be wondering, what is going to happen to all the people? What's going to happen to the churches? And Jesus appears to him in all his splendor and, and it's too much for John and he faints. And then God says, this is what I'm doing to the churches. You know, I'm rebuking, I'm restoring, I am building. So, and, and that's, that's what he's always doing. That's what God is always doing. So I want you to see the, uh, the, the magnitude of what God is doing in the world today. Well, uh, you know, God laughs. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh in the psalm. God is unimpressed. He can laugh because nothing can destroy God's kingdom, his church, or his people. Nothing. And even as he speaks to them in his wrath, God does an amazing thing. He sets his king on Zion, his holy hill. A king from the line of David is on the throne. It is a throne that consoles. Jesus is God's answer to a hostile world. Jesus is the answer to suffering. Jesus is the one who comforts and renews and refreshes our hearts. When John, well, I just told you about John. Uh, uh, but when John was exiled, he, yeah, as I said, he must have wondered who would care for the churches. Then Jesus meets him and reminds him there is a throne. The Lamb has the keys, and he will open the scroll of history. Life was never the same for John after that encounter. We have the whole book of Revelation to show us that. While I'm writing the songs, while I'm writing, my, my room is just above Bob Hippie's, my son-in-law's study. And uh, when I was writing this, uh, he was uh, playing my, the, that song, My God, He Lives. Do you have that here? My God, He Lives, My God, He Loves, My Savior Loves. Oh, it's such a great song. Uh, He's always there for me. Writing on this psalm has not been easy, probably because the struggle is to believe that God controls all that I am and and that I'm there seated with him. He tells us that. We're seated in the heavenlies. Why do we act as if the world is, uh, as if our lives are so 
as if, or we act sometimes and think that our lives don't have meaning. Because they do have meaning. They have meaning because you're sitting in the heavenlies with God, with Jesus, the Lamb. But hearing these words lifted my heart again to the throne room where the Lord of the universe is ruling, governing, not only this vast universe, but the affairs of men, nations, his church, our families, and us. What is the Lamb doing? He's interceding. Count on his prayers. I can't count on my prayers. Sometimes the only way I can pray is pray through a psalm. But Jesus never forgets to pray. So you just count on Jesus' prayers for you. And then verse 7 to 9, the decree that determines. We now have another speaker. God has appointed Jesus to rule over the nations. He is the rightful king. We hear these words at the baptism of Jesus. We hear them on the Mount of Transfiguration. When he comes, he will not be welcome. He comes to a God-hating, Christ-defying world. Uh, My friend, uh, who is a former Muslim, said to me, Why doesn't my mother understand when I talk to her about Jesus? I said, Nazma... She is dead in her soul. How can the dead man speak? But yeah, then there's a spirit, isn't there? Then there's the power of God to to change. And it's a hard life for her. She lives in a totally, all of her, all of her. But you know what she did? She's amazing. She, uh, she used to, we used to spend a lot of time together when she first became a Christian and her story is, is an amazing story. So if you, if you have Asians or Muslims in your, in your orbit of, uh, uh, of friendships or neighbors, pray for their dreams. She had a dream one night that, uh, that was bef- uh, when she was, she was trying to get her life together. She had been to a church, and she loved the music of the church, but she did not want to be a Christian. She even went to the Hajj to, to gain some kind of a spiritual blessing. When she came back from the Hajj, she started to de- dwell in the occult. So it just, it just, and then she got worse and worse. So she had this dream that she was in a room full of mud, and she was being sucked into the mud in her dream, and somebody came behind her and pulled her out. And she knew it was Jesus. So he does speak. I mean, uh, uh, it's just, uh, so, uh, but she didn't become a Christian right away. And afterwards, she, she was just setting so desperate because she, she had such a restlessness in her soul. So she, she, she had a friend who had been a Muslim, had become a believer, and she led her to the Lord. And then, then she called me. Uh, that's another long story and we started to meet together and now we're just really good friends but what she's done is start to go to Bible school and now she's out witnessing so just last week she called me she said we're supposed to write our testimony and then share it out in the streets great <laughs> write your testimonies out you all have a story you know would you like to hear my story? You know, you have to humble yourself to do something like that. But stories are great. 
You know, I think that's why the lady on the plane, our train, was, uh, would, would listen to us for two hours, right? She did. So, so 10, 10, and 11. Kiss the sun. That's what we're asking people to do. What does that mean? The rebellious are now given an opportunity for mercy. And what does Jesus offer? He offers forgiveness, a right standing with God, freedom from guilt and condemnation, an eternal purpose. We belong. We have the spirit. We're not orphans in a purposeless universe. Kiss the sun, a sign of submission. How, will, how does this psalm help us in the everyday problems and often confusions of our lives? The world is not out of control, and neither is your life. Circumstances and people are not your enemy. Jesus suffered, was despised, and rejected by men. If that happens to you, you're not above your master. We are not alone in our suffering. To kiss the sun is to submit to his gracious will. God has a plan oh, every, for, for your life. Every detail is under God's control. The center of reality is grace. Jesus was slain for his sheep. He goes to the cross for us instead of us. You understand that? Goes for the cross for us and instead of us because we deserve the wrath of God. God has a plan to redo the rebellion on the earth. Suffering will end and tears will be dried. And nothing can dethrone the lamb. The way to the fullness of life is the way of the lamb. The greatest power in the universe is the weakness of sacrificial love. History's going someplace. Easter defines winning. Let's be thankful that we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Personally, it's not easy to come to this place where each day I say, you're in charge. Teach me submit to you in all the various circumstances of my life. I accept your steadfast love over all the circumstances of my life. I wish I did that every day. I don't. I want to. I find also that every day is a battle. The enemy is active and spinning out lies. I must ask, seek, and knock for the Holy Spirit, for his fullness, for his love, for his peace, his joy. I come knowing I cannot do what is required of me, to love God with all my heart and my neighbor as myself. But I come with confidence that God will change my heart, will renew my affections, set my feet on level ground, I pray this in the name of Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God who suffered, despised and rejected by men, reminds us we are not alone in our suffering. The center of reality is grace, God's absolutely unmerited mercy and favor, and nothing can dethrone the lamb. My, my problem, a tendency, is always to focus on myself. And ladies, if you think your biggest problem is your circumstances, forget it. Your biggest problem is yourself. So 
I'm saying that to you because that's mine too. My weakness, my sins, my inadequacies. I try to solve my own problems or the problems of others and be angry and rebel against the people who destabilize my world. Or try to find one place in the universe I can truly call home. It doesn't work. I opened this talk with longings that were not filled. Instead, I faced loneliness, fears, and desolation. Meditating on the truth of God's sovereignty over the world, realizing I am part of God's plan to bring the nations to Christ, gave me a purpose that was beyond what I could ask or think. The longings for my heavenly home increase as I face the challenge and battles of life. The psalm ends with, Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And that's where our hearts rest. Thank you, ladies, for coming, for listening, for listening to an American, of all things. And may God really, truly, truly bless you as you take some of these psalms and meditate on them. Pray through them. They're great. They're, they're just, they're, they're just, there's psalms of lament. There's psalms of praise. There's psalms. Sometimes if you feel like all you can do is lament, then take Psalm, the early Psalms. If you're having problem with your children, find out what David said when his son, son uh, rebelled against him. You know, the Psalms are just full, full of the mystery of how God reach, reaches into our heart. That God bless. <laughs>